Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the first Empire Podcast spoiler special of 2020, dedicated to Ryan Johnson's brilliant twist on the murder mystery, Knives Out. Now, why are you hearing from me in this little preamble? Well, because I felt I should explain to you why this is the first spoiler special of 2020, and not, as was the original intention, the last spoiler special of 2019. You know, the year when Knives Out was actually released. Well, basically, I got lurgy over the Christmas period when I had planned to edit this. Not man flu, actual proper flu. And that knocked me back a bit and affected our schedule to boot. But now I'm mostly better. So here it is, our Knives Out spoiler special featuring a really fun, if far too short, interview with the great man himself, Ryan Johnson, that was recorded in October before the film was released to great success. So that explains why you're going to hear some fairly dated references in that interview. You'll then hear Helen O'Hara, Amon Warman, and myself talk about the film, and we recorded that in early December, which explains some of the slightly less dated references. So there you are. That's the explanation. That's the mea culpa. Sorry for the delay, but now that it is here, I hope you enjoy it. And now that it looks very likely that we'll see Benoit Blanc return in the not-too-distant future, I promise that we'll get the spoiler special for Knives Out 2, or whatever it's going to be called, up in a more timely fashion. And if not, then you can suspect foul play. So here it is. Brace yourself for a whole lot of terrible Benoit Blanc impressions. Here's a Knives Out spoiler special. Enjoy. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and I am a passive observer of a podcast. Welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to one of my favorite films of the year, Ryan Johnson's all-star murder mystery, Knives Out, the first but hopefully not last movie to feature the master detective, Benoit Blanc. And joining me for a solid hour or so of discussion of the movie is twists, it's turns, and there are many of those. And let's face it, more Benoit Blanc impressions than you can shake a donut at are two colleagues of such lethal cunning. There was going to be a third colleague of such lethal cunning, funnily enough, but uh, he dropped out at the last minute in mysterious circumstances. I suspect foul play, but I have eliminated no suspects. Anyway, the colleagues of such lethal cunning are... It's her house, her rules, her coffee. Helen O'Hara. Eat shit. Oh, no. <laughs> it's starting early. I'm oh, not getting there. Oh, no. Okay. Up your ass. Hey. Up your ass. And while you're at it, eat shit. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> somebody could definitely eat shit. <laughs> no, that's hard. Wow. <laughs> I've had better segues is, <laughs> is the person who wasn't... Here, obviously, Nick DeSemlian, uh, who dropped out oh, at the very last minute. He can definitely eat shit up his ass. Good save. Because uh, next up <laughs> is a man who has a regurgitative reaction to mistruth. It's Amon Warman. How are you? Hello. Hello. <laughs> I feel very good about having the best jumper out of uh, anybody in this room. 
I very much beg to differ. I said what I I said. Oh boy. I very, very much beg to differ. This is a film all about knitwear and and I'm bringing it, son. Look at this. This is. Are you though? uh, I think I am. (laughs) Helen's not even wearing a jumper. She's wearing some sort of flowery blouse type thing. You, okay, describe your, I mean, it's plain, Amon. It's it's just a kind, I mean, it's nice um, and it clings to your curves very well, I have to say, but it's, it's a kind of, it's a tan polo neck thing. Turtleneck, I think, isn't it? Okay, where did you get it from? It's a nice jumper. I got it from Zara, if memory serves. Mm, okay, he's brought the Zara, mm. the big guns out. Now, you've gone for a heavier weight jumper, more of a winter look. This Sort is, of striped orange and navy. Not orange. This mustard. is what I call my Freddy Krueger away kit. Uh, right, so yeah, yeah. Uh, if he's up against another team that has a red and green sweater, sure. he'll change this. It's yellow and so blue, he, it's striped. Yeah, if he were fighting Santa Claus's elves or the Krampus, yes. he might choose He'd the win. jumper you're currently wearing. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, he, I don't he, know, the Krampus is mean. Krampus is mean, but Freddy's got the power to manipulate reality mm. uh, within the dreamscape, of course. Of course and uh, he's got those four razor fingers on his knives. Yeah. No, four <laughs> razor knives on his fingers. That's it. Um, and, uh, and he's got great one-liners as well as Freddie. But anyway, it's a, it's a yellow and blue jumper that I got from uh-huh. Sainsbury's, wow. part of their two collection. <laughs> and I got 20% off this bad boy oh in God. the sale. It was just £16. Can I just say, for those who are looking for the really important jumper news in this podcast, <laughs> let's get the most important piece of spoiler information out of the way. You can get a very similar jumper from L.L. Bean. Oh, of course. You, of course it's, it's expensive. The, yeah, it's the fish. Yeah. L.L. Bean is not crazy expensive. And also they have a policy <laughs> where you get a lifelong guarantee with everything you buy from L.L. Bean. So if it, if it like... If it tattered the way his did, you could literally return it and get a new one okay. sent to you. That's cool. Can so, I, I mean, that sounds cool. You say LL Bean's not expensive. It's expensive. Uh, you know, clearly we're shopping in. You're, you're shopping in Sarah. I'm shopping in Sainsbury's. I think that that says it all. But uh, uh, LL Bean is not a place I would tend to be able to afford to well, buy no, in. It's, it's ninety nine dollars. It's not crazy expensive. That's what I'm that's saying. crazy expensive. I've never paid that for a jumper. That's ridiculous. Ninety nine dollars. That's not crazy expensive. Well, current exchange rate. That's to carry the whole two. Seventy ish. Seven hundred and fifty pounds. No, it's sixty five to seventy dollars. <laughs> seventy pounds. Where are you shopping for your currency exchange? I was was just in New York last week. Anyway, I think we may be getting off the beaten path here. We will be discussing the knitwear in this movie. We will be discussing the jumpers. A huge part of the plot, obviously, is Chris Evans' (laughs) jumper and how how good he looks in in knitwear. Uh, It's very, very important. But I will say that at one of the live shows a few weeks ago when we were doing the tour, Mm. I unveiled, I was given a free piece of Knives Out paraphernalia and it was a t-shirt mm-hmm. that says eat shit mm-hmm. but with <laughs> the eye just helpfully obscured so it doesn't look like you're you know wearing an obscenity in public and that's very nice and I'm very very grateful to them and it's lovely and you know I, I still I'll wear it and it's I good sense of butt coming. but <laughs> where is the distressed ransom drysdale sweater where and well I've just told you LLB no <laughs> crucially not on this body not on these contours <laughs> Yeah, I think we can all agree that I would win the jumper war then. Yeah, Am I right? Maybe. Both of you suck, and uh, <laughs> we should probably discuss the film at some point. Hey, but yes. yes uh, so anyway, yes, Knives Out is a film I love, and I was very much looking forward to doing the spoiler special. The reason it's late, 
uh, late-ish in the cycle is um, because I was away last week in New York. Whether or not Benoit Blanc was involved with my uh, <laughs> with, with that and why I was in New York, uh, I cannot say no. for a couple more weeks. But uh, <laughs> yes, uh, it was very, very much fun. But anyway, here we are. We're back in the pod booth, back in London. It's time to discuss Knives Out. But before we get into it, and before we tackle some of your questions as well that you've uh, sent in to me via DM, uh, we're going to hear from the man who made the film. The man who wrote and directed Knives Out, the great Ryan Johnson, uh, who I spoke to in October when he came in for the London Film Festival screening of the movie. And uh, Ryan and I had been looking forward to doing a spoiler special podcast for this movie for for quite a while. I interviewed him for the magazine for it. And, you know, all we could talk about was things we couldn't talk about for the magazine. So we'll, we'll talk about it down the line. And he had done the spoiler special for The Last Jedi and really enjoyed it. So I was looking forward to this. Sadly, we didn't quite get a Macquarie-esque uh, amount of time because of his uh, packed press schedule. So we only got 20 minutes, but as a packed 20 minutes, uh, my questions aren't necessarily as specific or as targeted as they normally are because I had seen the movie about a month before. Uh, so my memory was a little hazy. I wish I'd been able to see it twice, but I didn't. So anyway, that's all caveats. But hopefully we got through a whole bunch of stuff and hopefully this is quite entertaining. And uh, hopefully we can get him back in the pod booth for a big old proper spoiler special chat next time he's in London. But anyway, here it is. Ryan Johnson talking about Knives Out. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on this slightly truncated Knives Out spoiler special with the writer-director of the film, Ryan Johnson. We'll be, t- we'll be quick. We're not, this isn't Macquarie level. This isn't six hours. <laughs> it is six hours of Mission Impossible Fallout. I'm jealous. Any, anybody can do it in six hours. You have to, we're going to do the haiku version here. <laughs> Macquarie, yeah. just word farting all over the podcast. <laughs> Only one of those hours was spent on the film. I expect <laughs> you know I mean? so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but this is uh, a cracking film. I spoke to you uh, for the magazine about this movie, and the interview was honestly like this. Uh, I asked you a question, and then you went, that's a great question. Let's talk about it on the spoiler special. It was, it was <laughs> worse than a Star Wars movie. Because <laughs> this is, uh, this is uh, a movie that's been creeping and crawling and mulling around your head now for about 10 years. Here it is, finally here. And uh, I want to start with the end. Yeah. I want to start with the very end shot. Yeah. Because the subtext for this film or the theme, one of the themes of this film must reveal itself to you over the last couple of years, which was the uh, uh, the, the situation that's going on in America right now with uh, with, well, God damn it, everything that's yeah. going on right now. But there yeah. you have the, the final shot, my house, my coffee, my room. <laughs> uh, it's funny, that was, it wasn't an accident, but it was kind of an accident. Mm-hmm. I kind of a happy accident. I I knew I wanted her to like sip tea in the final shot. Uh-huh. But, um, and then I had had kind of separately the idea of my house, my rules, my coffee as uh-huh. that first shot in the movie. After that first big dramatic shot of the house, breaking the tension with kind yeah. of a goofy modern mug, joke mug. <laughs> and then when she, I was like, oh, she can have that at the end. And then when she went up to, I said, she was, we were doing that close up and I yelled up from the, I was, she was up in the balcony. I yelled up, sip the tea. And she, brought it up into frame and those words came up and I was just like oh that's pretty nice so yeah, yeah. and the stage in that shot as well with the, the ruling elite fighting amongst themselves mm-hmm. looking up and yeah and it's kind of nice huh? yeah, yeah. Oh, well as in yeah if, if life were only like this <laughs> yeah. was that was that in a way you have the murder mystery I guess percolating for a long long time but yeah. did you need something else did you need a, an inciting incident in a way in the real world for you to write this movie yeah and I mean the basis of that had formulated a long time ago that that had been around kind of before the election even the whole notion of it being 
being kind of an outsider, being an immigrant who was mm-hmm. the um, kind of the main character of it. And because I knew I wanted the movie to kind of have a, a heart and soul sort of um, beyond just the puzzle box, uh, you know, whodunit version. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be satisfying on a few different layers. So, yeah. 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 And so you have uh, you have uh, this idea of the outsider, Marta, and you have uh, this lovely little thread that runs throughout the movie where almost every some every time someone in the family refers to her they refer to her by different nationality yeah <laughs> so it's Brazilian Uruguayan is in there as well yeah. Paraguayan at some point at one point Don actually yeah Don says Paraguay the first time and Uruguay the second time <laughs> so he, he gets it wrong twice well, one, one, one of the guys yeah, yeah one of the guys yeah. yeah one of those yeah <laughs> that's a lovely idea but you, as you mentioned there is obviously a puzzle box element to this a murder mystery element uh, as I said in the poster around John and who done it yeah. and what's interesting about this movie is the way it flips around it's a who done it for a while then it becomes as I said to you before uh, uh, how they're going to get out of it mm-hmm. and then as you mentioned to me underneath all that the who done it remains yeah. it's still running around on the tracks but the audience thinks that maybe is done and dusted. Yeah, and that was that was part of the appeal of it. And the whole thing stemmed from kind of thinking about what Hitchcock said about who done it. How mm-hmm. it's it's you know, he kind of hated them uh, because it's it's the antithesis of Hitchcock entertainment. Um, it's a big build up to one big surprise at the end. Yeah. And that was, you know, anathema to Hitchcock. And so uh, the idea of building a Hitchcock style thriller in the middle of it, of starting it off with it. But I still wanted the pleasures of a whodunit. So I st- we started off questioning the family and getting to know all their motives, setting mm-hmm. the whole thing up, setting up the stakes. And then we have the scene with Marta and Harlan. Mm. And um, we do the reveal of, and the. Th- so I said, okay, when I was formulating it, I was like, okay, then what if we did kind of the Columbo thing where we reveal, quote unquote, who done it. Yeah. But, I was, and this was, I didn't know quite how to do this, but I was like, okay, but what if there was some way where the murder happens where, your genuine sympathies were with the killer where you genuinely wanted the killer to in the way that Hitchcock had like, you know, 39 steps or the Mm. wrong man. Like Mm. you genuinely were like worried and wanted this person to get away with it. And what's interesting about that is, um, I mean, first of all, it gives you an emotional stake and it gives the engine of like a Hitchcock thriller for the middle Mm. part. It also turns the conventions of the whodunit into the antagonist of the movie. The fact that you know that the detective is going to, you know, this machine, as Blanc says, this machine uh, always arrives at the truth. That's what it does. Yeah. The fact that you know the detective is going to solve it and becomes the thing that you're dreading. Yes. Um, and that seemed very interesting to me. And the idea that then the detective, who is not a villain, mm what he's doing is the thing that you're rooting against that that seemed really fun um and then of course to uh to have i knew i still wanted the pleasure of a whodunit ending Mm. and so i thought what at first that seemed like a liability like oh then i have to switch gears again but then i realized well then what if i you know what if i did it in such a way to where there was a whodunit hiding underneath this the whole time (laughs) 
So it's not that it turns back into a whodunit. It's that it was a whodunit the whole it's time. Whole and this time. thriller element was misdirection. Yes. Uh, kind of mis- misdirecting you from from the actual clues the whole time. It, it was just in a whodunit. So that seemed that seemed really interesting to me. I, I, I find it hard to believe you wrote this very quickly. <laughs> well, I've been thinking about it for about 10 years. I came at, yeah, I had the idea about 10 years ago. And the basic idea I had was exactly what I described. Mm-hmm. Like without any plot, without knowing even how the murder was committed or who got murdered or why. The basic idea idea of exactly the way I described it of could you do a, a murder where you're rooting for the person who, mm. and who, who did it and you can see how I stack the deck in that <laughs> regard making her a sympathetic character making even going to the extent of having um, you know uh, Christopher Plummer's character having Harlan like tell her and beg her to do this and get away with it like yeah. having throwing all the dice in her direction making the family terrible really stacking the deck so that you're rooting for the quote unquote killer in it um, yeah that seemed interesting and uh, the mechanics of the I guess it is a murder the, the mechanics of the murder itself how long yeah. did it take you to come up with that with, with the switching of the bottles and yeah. Ransom's part in that that was that took some beating my head against the wall that was <laughs> that was pretty tricky because it, it's easy it, I, I could come it, like I came up with some versions of it that were complex pretty okay. quickly it's like oh she this happens and then this happens she switches this up this happens but that's not satisfying like the notion of um the notion of how could I how could I do this whole slightly complicated thing with the bottles and the and the uh, and the drugs so that it it communicates and tracks and actually I have the the kind of the grace note at the end when um, the 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 idea that she um, the idea that she switched the things basically back because of the mm. um, because she could recognize because she was a good yes. person guy recognize yeah. them that is a, the two very good friends of mine Dan Sheridan and Stacy Sheridan they're a husband wife writing team they're like you know the first people I always give any script to for notes okay. and that was that I give credit to them for that idea they were they were like uh, it, and I, I resisted it at first and then I ended up uh, implementing it and thank God I did it was a <laughs> wonderful little grace note at the end why'd you resist it I don't know I felt I forget why because I was dumb <laughs> I was like <laughs> no that's 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 a hat on top of a hat that's not gonna and then and then I kept thinking about it and I was like no they're totally right that would be a really nice way of you know, yeah you know having it I think I liked the idea that she did genuinely make this mistake and I felt does that negate that mm. but the truth is it doesn't it backs up what her essential character is it's good yeah. that she's good at her job so yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, pretty much the uh, the only decent character in that household, with the exception of Harlan himself, and uh, Harlan's part in his own demise is really interesting. Did was that did that always was that always the case that he was so understanding of the situation and so calm about the situation? Well, I mean that again stemmed from it all goes back to the big picture idea of um, how do you pull this thing off so that you're rooting for the killer, and so. The notion of the voice of authority of Harlan telling her and thus telling the audience, you're, this is, you know, I, we need you to get away with this. You know, that, that seems 
really important and seemed like a way of really solidly directing the audience. Because the danger, I guess you can see, the danger I was working against was mm. that the audience would not be sympathetic to Marta yeah. and that they would blame her for Because Christopher Plummer is going to be a very sympathetic character in it. And she fucks up and yeah. she causes his death. And the notion of how do I stack the deck enough so where the audience does not blame her for that and resent her for doing that, mm. but is on her side and sympathetic to her. Mm. And um, so having having the person that she killed be actively sympathetic to her, actively not mm. blaming her and actively saying the important thing right now is that this doesn't destroy your family. Mm. Um, that seemed like the way of doing that. You know? That's such a good scene. Oh, thanks. And and those two actors just killed it. Oh, man. my was, God. Yeah, yeah. Anna in that scene. And it's a tricky scene because the tone of the movie has been so you know, um, kind of fun and bouncy and sort of fun murder mystery. And then that scene really needs to emotionally land or the whole movie won't work. And so those two actors just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, they're, yeah, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, you also, there's a couple of uh, interesting wrinkles. The last time we spoke uh, again for the magazine, you, I asked you, did you have the identity of the murderer nailed down mm-hmm. from day one? And you said pretty much... Yeah, yes. I knew that. Yeah, I, I, I had the idea that it was going to be, and this is kind of an Agatha Christie trope, that it's going to be the um, kind of the dashing devil may care, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, young man. That's something that Christie pulls out of her hat quite a bit. <laughs> and it seemed appropriate. But then, uh, but then I knew that, that he would be the first one that everyone would suspect. So yeah. So that's where the idea of then think pulling what's an apparent switch and having him having him then be kind of on her side and having his inherent selfishness and deviousness mm-hmm. be the reason we think he's telling the truth because he's, it's coming from a place of open selfishness. He says to her, <laughs> yes. he cuts that deal with her where he says, you know, you, I can help you get I can help you lie and fool everyone and then you'll give me money. And that. <laughs> That when I hit that, I'm like, okay, I think I'd buy that, and then I would, I would think, okay, that's the switch that happens with this character, and mm. um, it seems to mostly work. I mean, I think that the, mm. uh, uh, you know, it's it's it, we're just starting to show it to audiences now, but um, you yeah. know, I, th- I think it actually does help a bit that it's Chris Evans in that part, and that um, you know, you're, <laughs> and he does have a shield and <laughs> a bit. Well, no, I think his persona, yeah, I think if yeah. it was someone who had like a darker persona, um, it. It, it could have thrown off the balance. I think there's something about him that uh, that you kind of do want to inherently trust a little bit, mm. you know? So I think that helps. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though he is doing it, as you say, making a deal with her for despicable reasons. That's why you trust him. part of you. You go, okay, yeah. there's a bit of a fault fast here. There's a bit of, yeah, Sorry. okay. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's an inherent goodness in Ransom that I didn't expect to be there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course... <laughs> It turns out to be a massive shithead. Yeah, massive dick. Yeah, (laughs) but what can you do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's interesting as well because you you talked about um, you talk about uh, people might suspect ransom immediately, and uh, one of the ways you get around that is by casting Michael Shannon. So automatically, everyone thinks it's going to be him. him. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's going to be him. Uh, Another way you you uh, deflect suspicion is that you keep him off screen for pretty much the first 
hour of the movie, I would yeah. say. Yeah, 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 yeah. He shows up. He shows up quite late in the movie, yeah. which is also nice because at that point when he does show up, it's injecting a new kind of flavor mm. into the film mm. at the point where, um, where the film, you know, needs it. You know, it's in that kind of midpoint of the movie, and it's nice. Suddenly, Chris Evans literally breezes in, and this whole new energy enters it and kind of ignites the whole family up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, for a lot of reasons a nice kind of change up. But yeah, withholding his presence. But that's also kind of why you might just be a little more suspicious of him. So I don't mm. know. It was yeah, it's a, it's a balancing act. It's isn't a it? tricky it's a, balancing yeah. act. We had the other thing we played a, with a lot is how much the dogs were barking at him when he showed up because we had <laughs> we planted the thing of the dogs woke up Meg in the middle of the night and yeah. I was very nervous that and my editor Bob Doucet was very nervous that the instant the box the dogs start barking at Chris everyone will just know that he did it um, and so we toyed with like taking out dog barks we tried a version where the dogs didn't bark at him at all and I think I think you know I don't know I think we I think we I think it's a good balance where it's there and if you pick up on it you might pick up on it but then it <laughs> might kind of just get tossed in the stew of well okay that might implicate him but it's not a clincher yeah I don't know <laughs> have you been finding audiences getting it are they a step it ahead it seems step like it, I mean I, I mean the nice thing about it is it because of the way the whole thing plays out it's um and it's intentionally constructed this way. It's 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 not so much like a the pleasure of the whole thing rides on guessing it or not. Mm, you know, it's it's the whole thing is intentionally constructed, so it's much more of a thriller type th type of machine um, to where hopefully you're more just you know kind of worried about. Anna and being pulled through it and then mm. it's kind of like a pleasant you've almost forgotten about the notion that you're supposed to be figuring out who did it by the time it's sprung on you who did it <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of the hope so I don't yeah. know yeah 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 but I, I'm sure also different people will guess he did it different people won't I mean it's you know, that's we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens I guess people will have their favorites going in they'll have their yeah, ideas going yeah, in yeah there you go yeah uh, pick, but, your, uh, pick your horse absolutely yeah. and uh Another interesting thing you do, let's talk about Benoit Blanc mm -hmm. as well, because is uh, is this? Do you see this as the potential first in a series of Benoit Blanc movies? Or yeah, I would be thrilled, man. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how this one does. Uh, I mean, I'm serious. we're time traveling here. We're talking. We're actually talking a few months before the movie came out, so everyone listening knows if it was a huge flop. Everyone's giggling right now, stifling their giggling. Uh, so who knows? But if uh, if this movie does even all right, you know, I would be thrilled to. And Daniel and I had so much fun working together on this you know yeah. it'd be really fun to get together every few years and do a new Benoit Blanc mystery that'd be a blast that'd be amazing yeah, that'd I'd, be fun. I'd, be, I'd be absolutely up for that and yeah. you do something really interesting because by switching the audience POV and sympathies towards Marta uh, you keep Benoit Blanc on the periphery of the action sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and again, was that a, a tricky balancing act in terms of A, setting him up as a sort of master detective with yeah. his little idiosyncrasies and little eccentricities. Uh, and at times he is, he, he appears to the audience to be, and indeed to Marta, to be a bit of a buffoon. That lovely yeah. moment where she's trying to hide evidence. And, <laughs> and of course you reveal at the end that he has been yeah, he knew three the whole steps time. ahead. Uh, of course. Of, yeah, the whole yeah. time. So. Well, I knew that was coming. I knew also that... Um, I knew I was going to do the big denouement scene in the library at the end where he lays the whole thing out. I knew the last half hour of the movie it was going to be Daniel talking. And okay. so I wasn't too concerned in terms of, oh, God, is it? are we giving him short shrift here? Um, but it, it was also, as you can see from the construction, it was also very important that your perspective is with Marta and that... 
Daniel's character, that Benoit is kind of a threat throughout the course of it. And so you had to see him through her eyes. Yes. And that, by its very nature, meant that he was not, not necessarily on the sidelines, but we're not seeing the film through the detective's eyes. But that's mm-hmm. that's also that's something that, that Christie does quite a yeah. bit. That's why the, the Captain Hastings is in so many of the books. He's kind yeah, of the yeah, audience's yeah. proxy, and Poirot is always kind of cheekily keeping him one step out of the actual game he's playing. He'll drop little hints to Hastings, and Hastings will think he's put it together. But Poirot is never telling Hastings, and by extension, mm. us, the entire story um, yes. until the end. Of course, and so many great detectives have, have great sidekicks as well. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Perhaps I mean, do, do oh, you Watson see? And yeah, it goes yeah. back to yeah. Uh, Morrison Lewis sure, over here. You know, that, yeah, keep, I keep talking about Inspector Morse to you, but Columbo, Columbo, he was on his own. He, he had his he, dog. He, he had, had dog. his dog. He had his yeah. dog. Yeah, his wife. Yeah. <laughs> but Columbo, actually, no, it's funny you mention it. Columbo does hew to that because Columbo, the perspective is always the murderer. The murderer is the one whose eyes we're seeing it through. Yep. And it's almost like a horror movie where Columbo is like Jason, you know, Columbo. It's almost a gag. Like the you'll, you're with the killer and he's walking. And he turns a corner and there's Columbo. And he's got a question. So Columbo very much plays to that. You know? Yeah, yeah. He, he really does. Uh, I've got to go in a second, Ryan, but I just oh. want to ask. I know, I know. Too short. I'll come back. We, let's do that. Let's All do right. that. I'm All really dig into it. Uh, into it yeah. uh, I've got another five and a half hours to do by my reckoning. No but, shit, you know, man. You know, I got to beat McQuarrie. Oh my God. By one minute. <laughs> yeah, he's making two more Mission Impossible movies, so oh, we fuck. may be going up to 12 yeah, hours by no that way. point. All right. Okay. <laughs> you never know. Uh, Marta's gag reflex, the, the uh, yeah. idea that uh, she pukes when she uh, lies. Where, yeah. where did that come from? An inbuilt lie detector. Well, that was exactly that. So it was just, um, and that was something I came up with quite late in the writing process, and it was just uh, this kind of notion of, okay, if you have this character who uh, you're worried, are they going to be able to get away with this? Mm -hmm. And to get away with it, they have to deceive the greatest detective on the planet. (laughs) What's the biggest (laughs) handicap you could, what's the biggest thing you could give them that would be, that would make their life miserable. And the answer is a, uh, an inability to lie. And I forget at what point I came up with the idea of the puking thing, but something that just was unaged. It's not like she had to tell where like her eyes blinked or something. It's, (laughs) (laughs) something where it's where it's a big fun thing where then and then I came up with that and it was actually even later it was towards the very end of writing that I had I remember the moment I wrote it down in my notebook oh my god she can puke in Ransom's face at the end that's gonna be awesome (laughs) (laughs) so I constructed that whole thing around her suppressing this lie and and, uh, it's that's fun seeing with an audience because you can you can tell people know it's coming from the instant she gets off the phone with the hospital and they get there they're one step ahead of it, but in a way that makes it very fun, I think. Yeah, it's cool. Glorious. Oh, uh, yeah. The good face puke. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a hallmark of any good mystery. Didn't see that coming at the beginning, I'll be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I imagine your wall, your sort of your writer's wall, if you have one, yeah. maybe it's all in your head, but you know, like the serial killer's den and just face puke in post it notes. Inside post-it-notes. my head as well, just face puke all over <laughs> the inside of my head. That's my life, brother. And is that is that a tall grounded in reality? Is that an affliction people have? Or is I that thing? So. If it is is I'm sure someone let me know and I yeah. apologize for making light of it oh, that, would no. be, that would be terrible 
I'm sure it'll it'll uh, it'll bring this uh, this tragic affliction to uh, a wider audience. <laughs> and who knows? We also we there's a lot of points in the thing where she tells gentle little fibs, and if you listen very close, we we put little stomach gurgles in. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so Ben Wells, he's I mean he's onto that right from the beginning. I, I, I love think that. So. Yeah, I think so. I mean, also how could he not smell the puke and the big big gulp? cup in the car <laughs> maybe that's the one sense he doesn't have who knows yeah it's probably what if he doesn't have a sense of smell wow all right that's a good idea actually <laughs> explore that in the next uh, Benoit Blanc mystery it's like in uh, Murder by Death with the the oh blind butler yeah, 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 and yeah. the yeah. was it the blind butler and the and the deaf mute yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. maid oh my god <laughs> there you go and uh, one last thing were you tempted at any point to go down the clue route and have three different endings for oh this I'm not that I'm not that smart I came, <laughs> up, I came up with this one I'm like as Alfred Hitchcock said please don't spoil the ending it's the only one we have <laughs> so. and on that note Ryan Johnson's pleasure as always man thanks Chris Thank pleasure man Cheers. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that was Ryan Johnson. Now it's time for the three of us to talk about Knives Out. And uh, I wasn't lying when I said it was one of my films of the year. It is one of my films of the year. Now, in fairness, I've only seen four films this year, but of those four, <laughs> it is in the top four. No, it's it's great. It's fantastic. And expectations of this, this movie were, were pretty high, weren't they? Mm. You know, right from the off, the idea of Ryan Johnson doing a murder mystery was enticing and intriguing. The trailers looked good. Uh, I tried, I don't think I watched the second trailer because I didn't want it to be spoiled too much, but when I saw the movie, when I saw Daniel Craig's performance as Benoit Blanc, it delivered, wouldn't you say? I'm on. Yes, it's not just one of my films of the year. It is my film of the year. Hang on a second. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. There's a, uh, on your left, pal. <laughs> what, 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 Avengers what? Endgame is number three. What? On my list. Wow. Okay. Uh, Helen, can you just reach over and turn Amon's microphone down? Yeah, for the rest of the <laughs> <laughs> What's I've, number two? I've, I've called security. It's fine. <laughs> number two is Marriage Story. Really? Great yeah. movie. Okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, now I obviously love Avengers Endgame, um, but Knives Out, you know, even if it was just a whodunit thriller, it functions on that level, of course, very, very well and absolutely delivers. But the thing which elevates it to five star masterpiece level for me is the fact that it's working on multiple levels. And I like to call it a Trojan horse of a movie in mm-hmm. that. You still get the entertainment factor and the whodunit and all of that works, but the social issues that it's dealing with and how they're woven into the movie without sacrificing the entertainment value, I think that's done brilliantly and that is what elevates it to me to five-star level. Hell's bells. So, uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. I wouldn't put it as my number one of the year. My number one is essentially a four-way tie. We'll discuss that in the, in the review of the year podcast. How does that still work? To come. What? I mean, I mean, I numbered them one to four, but it is it rea- in reality, it's a four-way tie, and I would be happy with any combination of those four in my number one. You know. I have a three-way tie, a number one, if I'm honest. Yeah. Uh, it's the first hour of Avengers Endgame, the second hour of Avengers Endgame, then. <laughs> The third, the third hour, hour of, 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 of Cats. Weirdly, the third hour of, of Cats. Yeah, this is, <laughs> Which we haven't even seen yet. So. I, I, it may not be three hours I long, but it, it, it will feel like it. But the, half hour, the half hour after you leave the cinema, oh my God. Blessed relief. Oh, poor. I will kiss the pavement of Leicester Square. I mean, I won't because I haven't been invited. I feel like uh, nor I. topic. So Again. <laughs> I have illuminated no suspects. Or... 
any topics. Yeah. Um, right. So I really, really enjoyed it. I thought I agree. I think it's a it's a really, really clever movie on so many levels. I think there are moments where you you think you know what's going on and you absolutely don't. Probably. Um, and, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really clever in um, shifting your responsi- your your sympathies almost immediately to one person mm-hmm. um, to such a degree that you think it might be a red herring and then it isn't. Hurrah! Here's, <laughs> here's to Mardish, who I thought was great. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so I, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think you're right. I think there's a lot of issues in there about wealth, privilege, mm-hmm. blindness, mm-hmm. race, uh, mm-hmm. immigration, all that kind of the stuff. The rise of Nazis. Uh, yeah. All sorts of stuff. All sorts of it's, stuff. It's all in there. Yeah. Uh, it's a movie that, of course, pointedly finishes with uh, an, an immigrant lording it over <laughs> uh, a group of, of moneyed, privileged Shitheads. pricks. Yeah. yeah, great final shot. Yeah, the only thing, the only thing that would have made that better is if she'd said to them, but she wouldn't because she's smart and she's amazing, <laughs> and she would never have said this if she just pointed them at each and gone, "Eat my shit, eat my shit, <laughs> definitely eat my shit, up your ass." Um, did that take you by surprise? Because. I think it was deliberately positioned that way that this was trailered as a murder mystery, first of all, but also as a introduction of a great new detective character, Benoit mm. Blanc, and it was a Benoit Blanc mystery. And then you get to the movie, and Benoit Blanc is A, not the lead character, necessarily. Not at all. No. B... Kind of irrelevant for most of it. Cause se- or seemingly. Yeah. Mm. And, and C, presented as a buffoon for a large part of the movie. Yeah. But he's not. He's nothing of the kind. And the lead character is Marta. Amon, you were talking about Trojan Horse. And there's a lot of stuff inside this movie, uh, mm-hmm. as I discussed with Ryan Johnson. It's a framed as a whodunit. Then it quickly becomes a not a whodunit. Uh, it's more of a how she's going to get out of it. And then underneath, it's still a whodunit. But you just yeah. don't know it until the very, very end. Exactly. But Marta is, uh, Marta is a Trojan Horse, so to speak. Uh, none, none of us saw that coming. Mm-mm. Well, I didn't think. I thought she was Ecuadorian, so I'm surprised that she's Trojan. <laughs> hey! No, she was from Uruguay, uh-huh. as Don Johnson pronounces Wasn't it. Wasn't it Brazil? Oh yeah. Uh, someone actually wrote in saying, "Do we know what nationality she really is?" <laughs> I just presume she's Cuban because Ana de Armas is is it's Cuban, Cuban Spanish. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, she she is great in this, and for me, it's what I like to call an "if you don't know now you know" performance because <laughs> I I. Liked Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I understood I liked, that reference, <laughs> and I uh, liked Anna Darmus in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. But yep. she is not what I think of when I think about that movie. When I think of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I think of amazing visuals, and then I think of Harrison Ford punching Ryan Gosling in the face. I don't really think of Anna Darmus. Um, really, I always think of him looking up at that giant. Um, joy. Yeah. yeah, giant joy. Yeah, huge joy. He's found his joy. I always look at that. That's one of the standard images of me when she's bending down and he towers over him. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing visual, but in terms of her performance in the movie, I don't really think... That's not, that's not, the, that's not the first thing that comes to mind. I'm, I'm shaking my head. <laughs> uh, but she is so good in this, and yeah. you, know, you mentioned that you know she's immediately sympathetic and immediately likable, and a large part of that is the performance. Some of that is the writing, but a large part of that is performance, and I think she, she's really great. Mm. She's also very good at um, vomiting on command, <laughs> 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 which is you know, a unique... Well, not unique skill, but you know, so it's unusual. It's a niche skill. It's a niche it's skill. Is, yeah. yeah. Is this the best big screen puking since um, Stand by Me, and then before The Exorcist? I mean, can you think of any other great puking moments in movies over the last 
decade or so. Um, Two decades. Three decades. Bridesmaids had some puking. Mm-hmm. It had everything. I mean, it had a lot. It was coming up both ends. It, was <laughs> it really upsetting. was. Hustlers had some good puking. That's true. It does. Yeah. yeah. This is true. This is true. But still, pretty good puking. Has anyone actually looked into this, whether that's an actual <laughs> medical ailment? Uh, mm. I am 100% sure it is not. <laughs> um, speaking as a doctor, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. But no, I, I, I feel like, look, it is possible. People are strange and react to strange things. If she has a sort of psychologically convinced herself mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. she will be sick if she lies, I guess that's probably actually possible. But I, I don't think it's common enough to warrant <laughs> a specific medical term. I'd um, be amazed. But I laugh whenever people accuse me of lying yeah and i'm not lying yeah i laugh right in a guilty manner. in a guilty way yeah. which makes them think that I, my little I'm lying. sister did this it was brilliant when we were kids she would get this incredibly nervous laugh kind of giggle thing when she was accused of anything she hadn't done mm. and it was great because everybody always thought that meant that she'd done it you could get away with anything yeah Oh, so yeah. useful. I'm getting a sense of what it was like to live in the Ohio <laughs> household back in the day. Um, I'm not saying I abused it, uh-huh. but I'm one of four, <laughs> and the other two may have abused it. So, yes, uh, back to Marta then, because, yeah, uh, yeah Ana de Armas is, uh, is fantastic, and uh, obviously we'll be seeing next, opposite Benoit Blanc in No Time to Die. Mm. Uh, very different roles for both her and Benoit Blanc, and... Uh, <laughs> And oh, what's his name? Daniel Craig. That's him. That's him. Uh, but yeah, she's tremendous. This movie, and uh, I know from interviewing Ryan Johnson for the magazine that he was initially reluctant to cast her because um, she's a beautiful woman, and he wasn't sure that she would be able to play someone who was quote unquote, you know, a norm, M- mousy, mm. and Ma- yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, retiring. Kind yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. But uh, but she's she's absolutely fantastic, and mm. uh, she's, there's such warmth and heart to the character right from the off. Uh, someone pointed out the other day, I was talking to someone about this movie, I don't know who it was, uh, but it's interesting, from the off, Harlan Thrombey is referred to as her friend. So we, she's the first person we see. It's actually interesting how much Warren Johnson weights the movie in favour of her. Almost to the point where you think, well, there's got to be something up here. Mm. We're spending so much time with her that there's got to be something up here. Um, but we, right from the off, her, her mother says, you know, shut that thing off when her sister is listening to the murder mystery. And I think that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's focal cameo, by the way. Oh, really? He had to be um, in there somewhere. He's, yeah. In, he's in all his films. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. I haven't had confirmation from, from Ryan Johnson, but I'm pretty sure that's it. And uh, then her mother says, shut that off, you know, you know, your friend got killed, etc., etc." And so it frames her relationship with Harlan Thrombey in a much more innocent and much more pure way than anyone else in the family. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question? Which is the better character name, Harlan Thrombley uh-huh. or Benoit Blanc? <sighs> I love the alliteration, even though it's not really, of Benoit Blanc. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, but Harlan, Harlan Thrombley. Thrombley. Yeah. yeah. Ransom Drysdale's are pretty good. good. It's also good, yeah. yeah. But that's his middle name, Hugh Drysdale. Is yeah. Not you did this. Hugh did this. <laughs> <That's a> great <laughs> moment. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Marta's fantastic. And, uh, but then she... Yeah, 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 I, does does Benoit Blanc fade in the background too much? Maybe as a result of the focus on Marta. But I think that's quite. I think that's quite effective because I think that means that you focus on her attempts to get out of it, mm-hmm. and and sort of underestimate him a little bit, which is good because then then it comes as that nice surprise when he basically is, comes through in the end and actually spots what everyone else has missed and and finds the key piece of evidence and you know stops her from basically throwing herself on a. 
mm. on the grenade and, mm. you know, lets Captain America do it. He mm. has form. Hey. No, that, that, that full reveal scene is just one of my favorite moments of the entire year. And, you know, it's when it comes to a film like this, that scene is the thing that you're, you're really looking forward to. And they nail mm-hmm. it. Mm. Um, but the build up to that scene, I could watch 10 more minutes easily of Daniel Craig talking about donut holes. <laughs> and... <laughs> He is so excited to, that he's figured it out. And the way he plays it is just so fun and entertaining. And as I say, it's one of my favorite moments mm-hmm. of the year. I had a massive grin on my face uh, watching him do his thing in that, in that final few minutes. Yeah, mm. it, was, it was really good. I think if anyone's actually underserved or underutilized here, I think it's Jamie Lee Curtis. I feel like she didn't mm-hmm. get the mm-hmm. moment that everybody else sort of had, whether as a red herring or as a you know, as a central figure. And maybe that was deliberate. Maybe that was so we would sort of, you know, take our eyes off her and then and then conclude, oh, it must be her because we haven't seen anything else from I, her. I, That's but, it, yeah. I did like that when they're doing the initial interrogations so that she is sort of wise to the tricks to which they're um, the detectives are trying oh, to she's pull. By, oh, she's by yeah. far and away the yeah. smartest and most together of all the family. Yeah. Uh, and that she won't fall for his little trick. And then I love that, that jump cut immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. When, do it again. When, I'll when, do it again. I'll do it again. Yeah. I love that cut then to Don Johnson immediately falling for the trick. That's great. <laughs> but so Linda's really interesting in that she's the only member of the family that we don't see have a flashback with her father. She's the only member of the family that actually seems to be emotionally cut up by her dad's death. We see her crying, tears for him. Everyone else is basically just, where's the money? Yeah. <laughs> What's the estate? Can I get the business now? But also she's cut out of the will at the end with everybody and I, I know that the few people have raised issues with that and I didn't get a chance to talk to Ryan Johnson about that and <laughs> that's going to be a common theme throughout the rest of this <laughs> podcast but I wonder, I've been thinking about this a lot and I think the reason for that is that she's self-sufficient even yeah. with a million dollar loan to start her business and because she has an emotional connection with her dad he has to cut her out of the will because if he leaves anybody from the family in the will then what's the point? Yeah, I guess you know, so. because even if even if he leaves her ten million dollars, twenty million dollars, five million dollars, she'll it's, divide that amongst the rest of the that's family. That's not mm-hmm. what she's worried about. It's the it's the house. You actually see that when the will's being read. That's interesting. She doesn't care about the money. She cares about the house. That's interesting. I do wonder why he did that. And mm. um, maybe we'll talk about that down the line. But he does give her a gift. Yeah. Which is he gives her the knowledge that her husband's mm. a cheating dickhead, mm. <laughs> and she oh, seems to be okay with that. Well, she she loses a lot though because yeah. she loses her husband and her son there at the end, as well as like all the material stuff with the mm. house and the and the the rest. Do you think it's a bit harsh on her then? She doesn't seem to deserve that. No, it, we don't see that. Having said that, she is obviously also a hypocrite. We have no reason to believe that she's right about Marta's origin any more than any of the rest are. Mm-hmm. She could be, I suppose, theoretically. Her mm-hmm. her answer could have been the right one. She might well have been the only one who was sincere when she said, I wanted you at the funeral, but was outvoted. Yep. The implication I took is that none of them wanted her at the funeral and there wasn't a vote. <laughs> but um, but it could be that she was a decent person. But also, it's, it's entirely there in the text to read her as, as kind of as bad as all the rest, just in terms of her behaviour towards Marta, really. Yeah. So... I mean, I, I realize it's, you know, maybe we're bending over backwards to be sympathetic to someone who, you know, has a shitty husband and a shitty son and therefore is maybe shitty herself because, you know, like sometimes attracts like, but at the same time, maybe she's nice. I, I don't think that I don't think the film comes down one way or other on her. Mm. 
It's interesting because we're not showing that moment with her having a, a moment with her dad or getting mad at her dad. Well, she's not. Kinda, she's not on the suspect list. We kind of do see her having a moment with her dad because we see in other people's flashbacks. Is it Joni um, when she's trying to dance and she's trying to pull her up to dance and she's still just chatting with her dad and they are quite happy together chatting quite yeah. clearly. Well, what I mean so, is she, does, yeah, she doesn't no, have that I, moment I where they're mean, blowing up at each other and he I doesn't know. go, I'm cutting you out of the wheel. Or. No, I, but that's what I mean. I, yeah. I mean, we're seeing through other people's yeah. memories that they did have a close relationship. Yeah. Um, so, so we have reason to believe that that was the case, I guess. Bit harsh. It feels a little bit harsh. But again, like I say, she could be as bad as all the rest mm. and maybe I'm being soft on her. Or maybe it's just a case of new broom sweep clean. Maybe he trusts that Marta will do the right thing ultimately and if she sees that Linda deserves the house then maybe she'll get the house. Maybe. Or maybe, you know, Linda will end up being the servant to Marta and her family. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Someone else pointed this out and I noticed this the second time I saw the film mm. that after she gets the letter and figures out the clue that Richard is an adulterer, uh, when after Ransom's been carted away, Don Johnson has a, a shiner. Yep. Did anyone else spot that? I spot that, yeah. So I think there's... I think there's a, a, a few deleted scenes here. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, if we're, if we're honest as well about the film, not everybody is served well mm. in the film. I think um, uh, Jaden Martell you know, is, isn't really given a lot to do in this one. Lakeith Stanfield isn't given an mm. awful lot mm. to do in this. He, yeah. You know, he's such an interesting, idiosyncratic actor and you get a little sense of that every now and again in a couple of scenes, but by and large, he's just standing by watching Benny Blanc, as he calls him, yeah. do his thing. He does get a perfectly timed damn, though. Yes. It's really good. And he gets to, he gets to say that was the dumbest car chase of all time. So, <laughs> yeah. so he's, he's got a couple of little moments, but uh, if Benoit Blanc does come back, I'd like to see uh, Detective Elliot. I would like a Benoit Blanc cinematic universe immediately. <laughs> Honestly, you know, obviously we, we, I really like Ryan Johnson, but if I had the choice between Ryan Johnson make another film in the Benoit Blanc cinematic universe or mm -hmm. Ryan Johnson make another film in the Star Wars universe, it would be Benoit Blanc yeah. all day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm annoyed they're not making one right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I don't mind. He can do either. Yeah, yeah. Benoit Blanc in Star Wars. <laughs> You'll be up with that. Well, oh, he, he really has been. He has been. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen a Star Wars detective movie, so I'd be interested. Hey, in hey, there we go. Magic is happening in this yeah. room. Yeah, <laughs> mind blowing. But the movie's done really well in the states, and Yay. I think it'll do. I think it's done really well over here as well. Um, I don't know. I haven't checked, but take my word for it. It's done really well over here, and people seem to really like it. The people seem to be digging Benoit Blanc, mm. um, and it's not just because he's a very very fun character to impersonate. Uh, but, you know, I want to see more movies from these guys and I want to see them quickly. I want to have a Benoit Blanc film in cinemas next year. The problem with that is that these take a long time to write, yeah. I'm guessing. And the, the plot of this is so convoluted and so labyrinthine. Yeah. And I've tried to poke it for holes. Mm -hmm. I can't really see any. So it's going to take a while to write a sequel. But, Let's focus on the mystery here. Okay. Are there holes? Does it add up? It definitely adds up. I don't think there are holes. I mean, I, I'm not very good at piecing together what's happening in a film like this. Only, but I think people who are would have had a tough time. I didn't see where this was going. Um, and it actually reminded me of uh, Ready or Not a little bit in that I've forgotten the name of the family member who Marta trusts until she betrays her. The daughter. Oh, right, Meg. Yeah. Um, it might be a bit of ready or not in that regard um, because also... Great double bill, by the way. Really, 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 really good really double good. bill because you 
think you can trust the one family member until it's revealed that you can't. Well, it's a spoiler um, for Ready or Not. Ready or Not, special. It's been out for a while. Come on. Uh, um, but um, that's that's not how angry from Tunbridge Wells these are. Uh, that one. I kind of get letters. Um, but yeah, uh, I didn't see. I, I've I fully trusted her until that moment. Um, so there was one question I think I had, which was about Mar- Marta being able to tell the feel of the bottles. <laughs> Right, which I, I can believe you—you know, there's yeah. similar sort of sizes. But right. if you've if you've, you've done your ten thousand hours, yeah. So he changes the labels mm-hmm. initially on yes. the bottles, right? Yes. And so she panics. So maybe yes. she doesn't then realize in her panic. In her panic, yes. That she doesn't that they don't feel right. Is yes. that the idea? But because she does realize later. Yes. Okay. In fact, she, uh, she doesn't realize it. It's Belma Blanc who realizes it because of the toxicology report, which says yeah, no, that no, no. yes. So she, but she, but she realizes. I mean, what I'm saying is she realizes the difference in feel between the two bottles yes. later. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But she doesn't on the night. On the night, no. On the night, when she thinks when she's panicking. Yes, and that's one of the interesting wrinkles for me mm. with this movie because the question about who killed Harlan Thromby is at the end of the movie, Harlan Thromby, mm-hmm. uh, and. You think there's going to be a little twist because we think for the longest time that Marta has has killed him. Um, turns out, of course, that's not the case. And Ransom is only a murderer because he kills Fran. Yes. Otherwise, he'd have been absolutely, well, not scot-free, but mm. he's a rich white guy with a powerful lawyer, so he'd have been off within five minutes probably. Yeah, he would have, I think. I'm not sure how that would, let's see. If, so if Harlan hadn't topped himself... What crimes he committing there? He might be guilty of attempted murder. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely. In case you don't listen to the podcast and you haven't listened to the podcast before, <laughs> Helen is legitimately a trained barrister. So I'm putting her trained barrister. <laughs> yeah, it's it's mind. been a, it's been a little while okay. since I did criminal law, but I think okay. he might be guilty of of um, attempted murder. Now he obviously uses Marta as a proxy, but she's an unwitting proxy. So I don't think that that would change the fact. He switches the labels on the two bottles with the intention that his grandfather be injected with a fatal dose of morphine. Good. Yes, I'm writing this down. Therefore, <laughs> that to me would it would seem to have the necessary ingredients of attempted murder in that he intends he 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 makes a specific action that is intended to result in death okay. of another person. So what would happen to Marta in that situation? If she did, if the bottles were identical and felt identical, and there was no way she could have known, if there was no recklessness or um, uh, negligence involved, she would essentially, I think, be innocent. Now, given the relative wealth of both parties and the realities of human justice, it might well be that she'd be in would, prison for life. Yeah. She'd, she'd be probably done for something, but. Um, but it's hard to see that it could possibly be more than manslaughter, and I don't even think it would be manslaughter because I think. Manslaughter again is what is what happens if you cause death, but you don't intend to murder someone. So you can mm. manslaughter if you are careless, but not if you are reckless, completely reckless. And I don't think there's any argument that she would be reckless if the bottles felt identical or near identical. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If the bottles were near identical, maybe she would be careless. Maybe that would be manslaughter. But I, I'm, I, it'd be dodgy. <laughs> That's my professional legal opinion. But I can talk to some of my friends who are actually <laughs> practicing criminal barristers and check. Okay. The other question I did have initially um, 
is that the the spot of blood on Marta's shoe. Mm. Um, so a long way for blood to travel. But he hits his carotid, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's yeah. it's under yeah. pressure. It, it mm. clearly sprays right across the room. Yeah, mm. it it's it blood travels very far, very fast. Amon, don't ask me how I know that. Okay. Um, <laughs> wow. Ask me. All right, Dexter. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, I've heard. I've heard. I, I read it somewhere. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's why that's why he asks her specifically to, to stay back as mm. well. Um, Ooh, also, him taking the, what's it, Naxalone out mm-hmm. of her bag, that would also certainly suggest premeditated attempted murder. Him. Yeah, that yeah. does implicate him again. Okay, all right. And also probably serves to um, lower any relative standard of care that she failed to meet in terms of negligence and manslaughter. Okay, so we have a couple of questions here which pertain to this uh, from uh, Brewy underscore Chris, regular contributor to the spoiler specials. Uh, she asks, at any point, did you trust Ransom? I kind of did, yeah. I mean, just, you know. Is that the inherent Captain america of the whole thing? <laughs> well, but if, you, if, if somebody call, first of all, if somebody comes in and calls this family shitheads, yeah. you're inclined to trust them. Mm-hmm. Second of all, the jumper. <laughs> Third of all, Captain America. Um, but fourth, also that scene in the diner, he plays it very convincingly. Very well. And you're looking at these two beautiful people and you're thinking, you look great together. They look so this good This could be together. a happy ending right this here. This could be it. In more mm. ways than one. Knives might not be the only thing that's out, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so you kind of were like, all right. Penis, in case you were wondering. I, I thought you were, yeah, thanks, Chris. Thank you. Um, so it kind of felt like okay, maybe this is maybe this is a more conventional you know sort yeah. of love story than maybe I'd expected out of this film. I'm kind of here for it. Look at them, my God. Yeah, but it's but, a, it's um, all it's all part of a big old rug pull. Oh. oh, ransom you dastardly bastard! I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fully because really you speak with the benefit of hindsight here. No, 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 no. I didn't fully um, because. The, before we meet Ransom, we already we've already heard about how much of an awful person he is. Also, there's always yeah, this, but we've heard that from awful people. I know, but I mean, there's all there's all if the, those the, other people the, think that he's the like, he's the worst of them all, then yeah. he must be pretty bad. But, but also, they're saying things like you know he's he's as much into drama as his grandfather. Like they're drawing this parallel between Harlan and Ransom that you're kind of a bit like, but I think I like Harlan, so maybe yeah. I like Ransom. Harlan is a nice guy. Yeah. There's also this thing that because, you know, Chris Evans is playing so against type, um, he's probably gonna follow through on that. I just I I don't I I, I don't think I don't think I found myself fully well, believing. Let me ask you yeah. this. Okay. Were you disappointed it turned out to be ransom in the end? No. Okay. Because Because you, the way that they executed those final few minutes was so perfect. Um it was just it was it was really entertaining and enjoyable to see sort of, you know, Ransom get his comeuppance. Um, so no, I wasn't disappointed mm. at all. And I did think that Ransom had come back during the night. So I, I, when I say I was inclined to trust him, I was inclined to trust him. I'm not saying I was immediately like, he's innocent, hooray <laughs> for Captain America. Um, and the, the main reason that I was pretty convinced he'd come back was obviously the dogs. The, anytime anybody mentioned mm. that the dogs had barked during the night, you're like, well, obviously that's Ransom. <laughs> okay. Uh, and also the granny going, Ransom, is that you back again? Yes. That see. meant he had to be out there somewhere. But then we see the granny watching him leave. So, 
but she says, are you back again already? So yeah. not many people might pick up on that already yeah. part. But uh, See, you, you guys are much better than me than this. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just watching the movie. No, but <laughs> that, that, I mean, I, I'm not saying that made, made me convinced he'd definitely done it, but it made mm, me yeah. convinced he'd definitely come back and I, we were going to find out why. So the fact that we hadn't meant yeah. that there was still something to be revealed. Do you think it was, uh, that, that, again, I, I did talk about this with Ryan Johnson, I think. I, I think I did. Um, that it was interesting that he's he's off screen, he's held back for mm. so long. That Do you think that might, that, that can go either way. Because yeah. he's held, he's it held off screen for so long. Delayed gratification. It could be that. Yes, it could be that. Uh, it could be that he's he's off screen for so long that he couldn't possibly be the killer, mm-hmm. or he's definitely the killer. Mm. Mm. I mean, he was in in Columbo terms, he was the sort of name guest star that we hadn't seen in a little while, which is probably should have been a worse sign than it was than we thought it was. <laughs> um, you know? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, sc- I kind of, mm, I kind of see. Okay. okay. You know, murder yeah. wrote style. That's better. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Where, yes. where the name the. the the big star guest, like, uh-huh. has been suspiciously quiet. You're a bit yes. like, wow. It's like the Roger Ebert uh, edict. He used to have. He used to say that uh, he had a he had a rule that if you were watching a, a thriller or a murder mystery or something like that, and someone turned up uh, halfway through or for five minutes early on, and it was a name actor, mm. someone you recognised, uh, someone you could even list some of their IMDb credits, then chances are they were the killer. They did it, yeah. and he applied that to Sea of Love. A sea of love very early on someone turns up at the beginning who is a recognisable face you don't see him again for at least an hour mm-hmm. they're the killer um, so it, it, it often works and, yeah. I th- and I wonder if Sport that's the reason love by the way <laughs> and I wonder if that's the reason that um, Jamie Lee Curtis was given as little to do as she was relatively speaking okay so that we would think she was the killer interesting mm. very because, interesting because Don Johnson's like you know fuming around he's got the secret affair okay fine um, you know uh, Michael Shannon's fuming around he's got the worries about the publishing company and movie rights fine so we kind of mentally kind of we know what's going on with them we know what's going on with Tony Collette we know what's happening mm. there so I feel like they are less suspects <laughs> also suspect because of all those things none of those none of the three you mentioned there the Tony Collette character the Michael Shannon character or the Don Johnson character have the smarts to even begin to pull something like this off and Ransom's interesting because he talks about being uh, he, he studied under his grandfather he was his research assistant for a, a year or so and you get the sense that Ransom in a weird way is just a, he's just a kid who's gone off the rails he's got so much potential he's genuinely very very smart mm. he is his grandfather's son grandson <laughs> his grand, he's his grandfather's son oh my god no <laughs> words. this is a very twisted movie isn't it he's his grandfather's grandson in so many many ways that he could be Harlan Thromby part two except for the corrupting power of money yeah. and power and influence and I'm presuming with Ransom as well a whole shitload of designer drugs <laughs> as well I, I feel like that's that's a fair assumption he's also yeah. a little bit old for that whole frat boy defence which I think is actually a sensible again part of the meta commentary the, the Trojan horse that Amon was talking about which is that mm. you know there's a tendency in the media to dismiss even 30 something you know rich guys as oh well they're bo- it was a boyish error mm. whereas you know I don't know young black men are held responsible at 16 mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. you know and, and it's like well I mean he is responsible and therefore he's basically he's basically one of the Trumps isn't he he's and, basically a Trump yeah and uh, it's interesting there is a discussion at one point where Trump is discussed oh. but never never named yeah. uh, I, I, I'm interested this movie's gone down so well I'm, I'm the, the political subtext is right there. It is right there in people's faces. And yeah, it doesn't seem to have attracted a, a, a program in that way. Um, 
But let's talk a little bit more about uh, the Trojan horse nature of the movie in that we're all trying to figure out who, who murdered Harlan Thrombey. We're all trying to figure out, is it Linda? Is it Richard? Is it Michael Shannon? Is it Walt? And then about 45 minutes into the movie, maybe even sooner, Brian Johnson shows us or purports to show us who actually what killed actually Harlan Thrombey. Really interesting mm. move. Really interesting structure because then we all get invested immediately in the cover-up. And yeah. so we are hoping that our heroine will succeed in covering up who done it mm-hmm. for long enough. And we're with her in her horror at them being named an heir because that puts all of this under immense pressure yes. and under the microscope back again. Um, just as she thought maybe she'd be okay and maybe she would, you know, maybe Harlan's plan would work. Because it was really Harlan's plan to cover it up, not hers. You get the impression she would immediately have admitted everything if yes. not if he had not told her not to. So it's... Because all it takes is a simple question from from Benoit Blanc. Yeah. yeah. That's all it takes to get the whole truth out there, to make her puke her guts up, and he deliberately doesn't do he it. deliberately doesn't ask, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was, the, I thought that was brilliantly structured and really, really um, testament to, to Ryan Johnson's storytelling and also to Benoit Blanc's um, mystery solving, that he immediately mm. sees she knows stuff, but he doesn't push her directly too hard. He just sort of tries to feel his way in from the outside of the donut. Because <laughs> he knows the there's a hole clothes. to the donut, right? He knows he he knows immediately once he sees because he's a he is a genius. He's sure. a he's a buffoon. I mean, the New Yorker would not have profiled him. <laughs> no. I, I wonder line. why a Southern gentleman detective is living and working in in and around the Boston area. Well, he, go, he goes where he's he goes where he's called for. But he says that uh, he, uh, money turned up at his apartment last night. So ransom would have had to Only drive night. to his apartment with a big, big old envelope of cash, drop it off at his apartment, the and then drive back The whole eastern seaboard again. is not that big, though. Like, he could have driven to New York just about. It's like, it's like, no. yeah, I'm sure it's like six or seven hours drive, I think. Oh, it's a long way to drive. I mean, yeah, but, you know, he's young, he's in shape, I think. Uh, well, yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. <laughs> have, you, have you thought about that? I don't, I don't no. know. Okay. I hadn't really occurred to me before <laughs> yeah. right now, so. Okay. <laughs> Is he attractive? My, it's hot in here. <laughs> drink some more water. This is gravy. Oh, God. Oh, I'll drink it anyway. Um, so, uh, so anyway, let's talk a little bit more about Harlan and Marta because uh, the scene where Harlan uh, decides that he's going to accept his fate mm. and then save Marta in the bargain is possibly my favourite scene this year that doesn't involve <laughs> Mjolnir or a portal Portals, of some kind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it is really good, isn't it? Because you can see there's a moment where when she admits she's done something wrong, he's quite stern almost. There's almost a moment of, mm-hmm. how are you going to fix this? You need to fix this. He, What's just happened? Yeah. And then he's immediately like, oh, it's fine because you'll just get the, the nax, Naxalone. Naxalone, mm-hmm. yeah. It'll be totally fine. And then there's little levels and then his very methodical, mm-hmm. very stoic writer's brain kicks in and immediately he's like, oh, this is a really good thing for mystery. Oh, this is oh, this is a nice way to bump someone off. Let me write this down. Um, which is interesting, by the way. Did anything ever happen to his notebook? Because surely in his notebook, there would have been the beginnings at least of uh-huh. someone yeah. dies when you swap out the thing. I don't think we ever saw or heard it mentioned again. Maybe no. he just stopped writing uh, yeah. when he realized the gravity of the situation. But what I love about that, that sequence, and quite frankly, I know Christopher Plummer's got Oscars and Oscar nominations coming out of his, his ears, mm. um, but I think he deserves one on the strength of that scene alone. He is incredible. And Anna de Armas, uh, I don't think, has been in any of the conversations for Oscar, quite frankly. She's great in this movie. She really carries this film on her shoulders. And then this scene is phenomenal. 
because the humanity and the benevolence with which he accepts his fate, and he realizes, of course, that he's just he's just made her the, the sole beneficiary of his will, yeah. and it's going to look really bad for her yeah. if he dies at her hand, even accidentally. The, the way that the gears move and tick in his head is just, it's a masterpiece of acting, I think. I Wonderful think, I think stuff. It's, yeah, I mean, it's really good. Just talking about this film makes me want to watch it again because I know that there's just going to be so much you can pick up on multiple watches. Yeah. And I'm very much excited to do that. Yeah. Yeah, there's references in the house to Sleuth uh-huh. and to Death Trap. Yes. Um, which I need to now watch again, both of them, and, and try and, like stuff up. I know there's the yeah. Drunken Sailor, I think, from Sleuth. Oh, really? I haven't seen that. Okay. But yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't seen the Drunken Sailor and Sleuth. Sure, yeah. I've seen yeah. Sleuth. Yeah, I'm sure there's loads of other stuff in there as well, mm. from Murder by Death and Clue and mm. all the uh, Agatha Christie uh, movies uh, over the years. All with great detectives, of course, which brings us on to the master detective himself, <laughs> Benoit Blanc. Oh, God, here you go again. It's been a while. <laughs> it's only uh, been minutes. So. <laughs> it, it, I, don't know, I haven't done this impression for at least 10 minutes. Uh, I was about to say, you've been very restrained. I've been remarkably <laughs> restrained. Until um, now. <laughs> I'm a passive observer of Daniel Craig's performance in the movie. Um, Sin my previous comment entirely. <laughs> <laughs> you encouraged it. You're just jealous because I've got the better jumper. Feel it. Seriously, feel it. Feel oh, my jumper. Feel um, it. Feel it. Seriously. 16 quid, Saint Therese. Oh, feel boy. it. Here we go. Feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should start shopping in the cheap aisle, son. Mm-hmm. Look at that. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Just for Stroke those, it. Stroke just, it, I'm on. Just for those listening Stroke at home. It. Yes. Chris is literally holding Feels out good. his arm. Feels and, good. And wouldn't take his arm away until Amon strokes it. So. No. Yeah. I uh, will be expecting a tap on the shoulder from HR. And, yes. <laughs> and they say, I'm the thirsty one. I mean, come on. and Helen. Nope. Go on. Yep. Nope. Go on. Nope. Yes, do nope. it. Do it. Go on. Just a little one. HR, Just Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Helen won't stroke it, so let's talk about Benoit Blanc. <laughs> Story of my life. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> 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 Oh, dear Lord. Thirsty? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Danny Craig, DC. Having the time of his life. Yeah, fair. Yeah? Yeah. 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 If anything, he was a little bit more restrained than I expected him to be. I thought he might go full Kenneth Branagh in in Murder on the Orient Express. (laughs) With a giant (laughs) moustache. Gigantic, you know. Yeah. but but no, he was he was a little bit like you say he held back he he didn't push too hard he sort of you know lurked in the background of a lot of scenes I mean specifically in his introduction introductory scenes um, which I thought was fantastic and I also loved that the way that that gave you lots of insight into the family you got you know Joni going oh yes I read a tweet about your article <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Jamie Lee yeah. Curtis no, whose think, name I've forgotten I, think, um, I read a going, tweet about a New Yorker article about you yeah <laughs> which whereas, is yes. yeah, whereas, whereas Jamie Lee Curtis read the article yes. you know which is an instant contrast between those two characters which I thought was brilliantly done um but uh, but yeah, no, I thought, I, thought, I thought he was fabulous. No, it's right up there with his performance in Logan Lucky. Yep. It's just in terms of the most fun Daniel Craig. And it's a film that you could tell like everybody is having a very good time uh, making this movie. Mm. And that's just fun to see. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it really, do- it really, really, really does feel like that because, well, you know, certainly for some of them anyway, um, Don Johnson, I feel like, doesn't get enough 
character roles, really, and doesn't get enough roles these days anymore. I, I'm going to beg to differ there because I yeah. actually think one of the great things about the last few years has been the resurgence of Don Johnson. Okay, that's fair. He, yeah, but there was a long time where we just didn't have him on screens. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's been good to see him back. Um, but uh, Lakeith Stanfield, as you say, is is underwritten. I don't think he's maybe got as much to sink his teeth into here, but I think mm. he's just hanging out having a good time you can see Chris Evans enjoying not playing Captain America a yep. lot and I feel like we're going to see a lot of that from him in the next few years yep um, we've until often... he comes back as old man Steve in... <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like we've we've seen that even in his off films between Marvel movies like there's been a conscious effort to do something very different and I feel like there's going to be a lot of that coming up for him um, so the, it's kind of cool he was in the film with Michael Shannon a couple of years back it's called The Iceman Iceman yeah. 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 yeah it was really good in that but really yeah. good in that too yeah. But but again, yeah. that was like wildly different. Yeah, it's yeah. fair to say. Absolutely, so. this is yeah. He he had lots of uh, he had lots of big dick energy in that, and he uh, and he had lots of big as in he's playing a big dick. Sure, I, uh, I, I had lots was, of thank you for that. I, I was sure that was what you meant. And he had lots of big dick energy as Lucas Lee, of course, in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, <laughs> not enough energy, though, eh? No, 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 clearly not. Yeah. Uh, clearly not. But um, I mean, yes. he, he does play excellent bastards. He really, really does. I think this is one of the uh, the fun things about him. Um, and he's sort of he, he used to play more kind of of these bros. Like he got cast as a lot of these bros. Yeah. And so this was a little bit of a throwback, but with a you know knifey sort of a twist. Knifey <laughs> <laughs> sort of a twist. Yeah, I said. Um, it. Benoit Blanc, you're right. There's not a lot of affectations there necessarily. Mm. There's, there's a southern the accent. accent. He has a he has a, a liking for tweed suits. He wears glasses occasionally. He bops out in his car to um to a popular tune. I don't know what the song is. Anyone know what the song I is? I'll look it, it up. I'll look it up. If not, <laughs> but Amon, I thought you would have known it as as a music I, man. I'm still sort of um I'm I'm in the process of listening to a whole bunch of scores and soundtracks right now as I prepare for my countdown. And not, we, we 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 haven't um to talked much about the score for this but it is fantastic. It's Nathan Johnson. Yes. And he is it's a really really great score. There's a um track which is the knives out theme but basically all strings. It feels very classical and baroque and it's it's mm. it's really really cool. Yeah, and it's the first thing we hear and the first thing we see is the is the shot of the dogs running towards what you presume is ransom uh, at, at, at that shot. Mm. That's my presumption anyway. Interesting. That's my presumption. Can't wait to watch this film again and look at yeah. all these little but things. But it is interesting because it's one of those movies that has a, a circularity to it. So the first shot, apart from that, is Fran the housekeeper, Edie mm. Patterson. Um, with the coffee cup. With the coffee cup. Mm. My... I can't remember the, the order which it goes, but it's either my house, my rules, my coffee, or my coffee, my rules, my house, or my rules, my coffee, my house, or it's my... Anyway, anyway. And then the last shot of the film is obviously coffee cup-centric uh, as well. So why did he then include the first shot of the house and the dogs running towards what I presume is Ransom? I never presumed it was Ransom. I just presumed it was dogs running and establishing a big, scary misty house okay that was basically my entire understanding of that all right that shot I'll what helen said perhaps i am underthinking it um which would be a nice change but yeah i think i thought i think the circularity is great and i think there's there was another example in in an article i was reading i did not spot this myself i think it was the av club talked about it mm -hmm. no somebody else uh where they talk about the baseball which starts off in um harlan's study and which Don Johnson throws out the window in frustration mm -hmm. when he finds the letter is blank, I think. Mm -hmm. Benoit blank. Hey. <laughs> uh, then the dogs pick it up and 
and Benoit Blanc throws it for them at one point and that's when they bring back the bit of wood instead. Mm -hmm. So that's when he spots that somebody climbed the trellis and blah, blah, blah. But the bowl is still kicking around and eventually Jamie Lee Curtis picks it up and brings it back into her father's study to replace it. That's when she finds the letter and knows that it isn't blank. Because so of the game she's been playing with her dad. Because of the she's playing with her dad. So that, the baseball basically has this whole little circular plot to itself, which is wow. very clever. It's almost as if the, the baseball is a character in its own right. Uh, <laughs> or indeed the house is a character in its own right as well. <laughs> have, you, have you thought about that? That's an original <laughs> observation I've never so heard original. before. I also, I love the fact that the, you know, this ancestral family home was bought in the 80s. I thought that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd noticed that. It's such a beautiful touch because... Um, yeah, they think that they own the house and I think that Benoit Blanc, he says that they, they bought it from immigrants. Is that right? Uh, it was a, a Saudi okay. businessman or something in <laughs> yeah. the 80s. Which, yeah. Yeah. It just pricks their pretensions of, you know, being old money and mm. points out that, no, yeah. they're, they're super new money, actually, and yes. uh, not that much better than anyone else. Just yeah. richer. It's... it's a, brilliantly written script he told me that he doesn't have post-it notes in the wall he didn't have the the, the, the through line of the, the plot in his head I'm not sure I believe that entirely <laughs> but if he didn't if it's a bit like Lee Child if anyone knows how Lee Child works when he's writing the Jack Reacher novels which are sometimes you know complicated mm-hmm. shall we say and he literally just makes it up as he goes and somehow makes it all work and so maybe maybe some people can do that maybe they can hold these things in their head these these jigsaw puzzles and they can put them together but I think it's an incredible work and I was just mm-hmm. looking to see whether he was nominated for a Golden Globe and I have to issue a correction as well uh, Anna de Armas was nominated for a Golden Globe okay. for Best Actress Good. for this movie and I hope that augurs well for or I mean, for Oscar recognition as well but I mean it totally yeah. won't but it's, it's it won't like, yeah. Yeah. yeah but for me this is a brilliant screenplay and he yeah. should be in the conversation yeah, he should be absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad for the Golden Globes nominations, but there's always an asterisk for them because we all we all know that the Golden Globes are really problematic in many different ways. Uh, but yeah, I'm yes. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that she got nominated. She is absolutely very yeah. well deserved. Yeah, there's uh, the Golden Globes. Um, the people behind the Golden Globes are a whole bunch of thrombies and drysdales, <laughs> shall we say? And leave it at that. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's leave it at that. Um, a couple of other things I wanted to talk about before yeah. we wrap this this bad boy up. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Oz and M. Emmett Walsh. How great to see them so in movies yeah. again. Yeah. Tremendous. Yeah. Don't have anything to say, but <laughs> just, it's tremendous to see Frank Oz is, is really funny in this. Yeah. And uh, I thought M. Emmett Walsh had retired, quite frankly. And I thought he had too. And even just for 30 seconds, I'm like, yay! Yeah. Hooray! It's, <laughs> it's M. Emmett Walsh. And he's part of that really fun sequence as well where Marta is trying desperately to conceal the her own trail as well, so she's yeah. wiping the uh, <laughs> uh, wiping the um, the security footage. The security footage, yeah. thank you, and uh, trying to throw away the, the bit of trellis, and yeah. the, the, the dogs bring it back, and uh, uh, and Benoit Blanc, of course, is pretending that he has no idea what yeah. the hell is going on, uh, which is lovely. And Frankos, for anyone who doesn't know, is the lawyer, right? He's the one Frank who reads, lawyer, reads yes. the will and has to be reminded that the house is a factor in the will as well yes. as everything else. Yes, um, but yeah, he, he's he's super good. Working with Ryan Johnson again, of course, after the Last Jedi, so. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did I put that in? Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. um, wonder what he thinks about Yoda. <laughs> I wonder what he does. If you haven't heard it, by the way, there is a dear Theodosia, dear baby Yoda. Oh my goodness! Oh, it's online, so good. Really, yeah. Really the ringer. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. It's it is Jane. awesome. 
<laughs> All right, let's see if we can just take a couple of quick questions from uh, from listeners, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up and throw it out the window. Uh, here's a question from at John Rob Five Thousand, who told Benoit Blanc about Marta's vomit reaction. He was summoned with just cash and a newspaper clipping. No family member mentioned it to him, I don't think. It's the only potential plot hole for me, so very happy to be proved wrong if it was mentioned who told him. I don't think it's important that we know who told him. No, I think, I, I think you're you right. Think? I think you're right that it wasn't mentioned. Uh, I don't. Uh, but uh, equally, we only saw clips of everybody's interviews. I think so. It's possible it was mentioned um, in one of those. It's also possible that he he's he's obviously done interviews off camera as well. He does interviews with other household staff, the caterer, people like that. We hear about that we don't see him interview. So he's clearly doing some other research around the edges mm-hmm. that we are not aware of. Mm-hmm. I fully concur <laughs> with the. Conclusion of my learned colleague. Um, at a Charis Pollard, Charis Pollard asks, and I, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> we may have a hole in the donut. Um, what about the hole in the donut hole in the hole in the donut hole, or given the total incoherence of that, how come Fran didn't die until 10 a.m. if she was injected at 8 a.m.? with the same dosage that killed Harlan Thromby and it took 10 minutes to kill him or would have taken 10 minutes to kill him if he hadn't intervened. Interesting. Do we, Do we know, know that she, that she died? See, several people have sent in a similar question. Mm. Said 10 a.m. Now, she gets the call. She gets the call, doesn't she, at 10 a.m.? But she arrives just after 8 a.m., doesn't she? I need to go back and see this for yeah, yeah. I'll need to watch yeah. this bit. But she, I mean, she's also, with Benoit Blanc in the car. Right. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to miss my appointment. And then she basically goes, I need to pick up the dry cleaning. Pick up the dry cleaning. So I don't know if she gets there that much later after 8 a.m. Yeah. The only, thing, the only thing about that is how Ransom could possibly have found the time to do that. Because Ransom at that point... We may have found a hole in the donut. Uh, Ransom, at that point, is in custody because they've just taken him away after the dumbest car chase of all time. Right, yeah. So at what point... So he would have had to do it before the dumbest car chase of all time. So he must have been given her a lower but still dangerous dose. Because if he had killed... That's it. That's got to be it, right? Because if he had killed her outright if he'd injected her with a whole bottle of morphine then yeah. he wouldn't be able to implicate Marta wouldn't be able to implicate Marta because, because be Marta would have, would have had alibis yeah. and Marta wouldn't be he, so he needed to be <laughs> dead enough mm. so that when Marta turns up she's, she's there dead. but yeah she's she's but not yeah, long dead she's alive but she's just about okay. to cark it and the other thing is we don't know I mean none of us are doctors spoiler but um, we don't know the exact dosage that she was given I mean, Ransom working as a research assistant for his grandfather presumably means he's studied a bit of this stuff, um, presumably with poisons and so on, which interestingly is what um, made Agatha Christie such a good writer. She had worked with poisons, I think, during the war and mm-hmm. um, based a lot of her plots on the knowledge that she learned at working in a chemist dispensary during the war. Interesting, fun, fun mm. fact. So, um, <laughs> interesting and, and perhaps potentially useful fact. One day. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, and, but apparently, she was such an expert on poisons that, like, a nurse later saved a little girl's life because she'd just been reading this Agatha Christie book, and therefore she recognised the symptoms of this really rare poisoning that this kid, wow, accidentally had. Crazy, well done, right? Well done, Agatha Christie. Really, though. So anyway, so let's assume that he knows what he's doing in terms of dosage, and let's assume he can figure that stuff out. The other um, possibility is that if it, even if he doesn't is that um, a healthy, 
what, 30-something, 40-something woman might react in a different way to an 85-year-old man. Good um, point. So that is the, the other case. Marta might have been describing what would happen to Harlan and not describing what would happen to any other person. Although I would not like to be injected with 100 milligrams of morphine and see what happens. I mean, you'd probably, you'd probably like it for the first couple of minutes and yeah. after that it would be pretty terrible. I'd be like, you know? whoa. This sucks, man. Uh, all right, here's a question from Bruce Wishhart13. Uh, who do you think the dark-haired woman Don Johnson is photographed canoodling with is? I thought it was going to be Anna de Armas, but we never find out. Uh, I don't think it was ever going to be Anna de Armas. No. That is not... There's there's literally no hint of any affection between Richard and Marta whatsoever. Mm, yeah. She's too pure and innocent to, to go around uh, cheating on you know Harlan Thromby's daughters <laughs> you know yeah on Harlan Thromby's daughter in any way um, I just don't think that incidentally yes Richard gives he's, he's one of the guys who gets her nationality wrong and mm-hmm. there's that really pointed moment where he's talking about what it means to be an American and how you can, you can come over to this country and work hard and be an American and as he's doing it he's absentmindedly handing his glass to Marta to, to take away mm. and it's just like oh, wow yeah. okay yeah. There you go. There's is, there's an image. He yeah. is the worst. Um, <laughs> he is the worst. In fact, yeah. he's not. But in that family, he's mm. close to the bottom. You can now. see the, the apple didn't fall off too far from the tree with mm. ransom, right? Eh? Indeed. Yeah. He has no right to be saying Hamilton lyrics. I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. Uh, but but uh, yeah, no. I think I also think that that dark-haired woman. Um, it looked very different. Apart from having dark hair, looked very very different to Marta. We talked about this a little bit, but Justin LeBlanc, um, I wonder if you've changed your name for this question. At uh, 7 Fanquish on Twitter asks, I know you guys try to avoid delving too deeply into politics in the podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Lols. Uh, but having Anna de Armas' immigrant take everything from the rich white folks, thus fulfilling the ultimate Fox News nightmare, feels like one of the best digs at the current political climate since 2016. If you guys could talk about that, that would be terrific. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, absolutely. We've, we've talked about uh, a little bit um, that this is a big middle finger to the current political situation in the States. But I also wonder, and again, Ryan Johnson is maybe far too polite to admit this, but I think there's also a little bit, there has to be a little bit of him that is driven by the re- toxic reaction that was afforded him after The Last Jedi. In terms of Jaden Martell's character, the you know the, the you know the young Nazi masturbating in the, in the bathroom, <laughs> I just love stuff like that. Um, in terms of that character, and in terms of just them all being utter utter shit heels, yeah. yeah I, I wonder if there's a little bit, of, even the title knives out. I I do wonder yeah. if that was inspired by Last Jedi. Yeah. It can definitely be read that way. But yeah, no, I I love um, what they do. Um, you know, as, as we mentioned before, the the final shot is is fantastic, and I just love how stealthy and yet pointed it is. It could have been very easy uh, for a lesser script to have uh, the social political stuff um, be so prevalent and preachy to the point where it overwhelms the film and the film stops becoming entertaining because you're focusing too much on the the, the stealthy themes. But the way they that they've woven all of that into the movie. Um, culminating in that again super final shot is mm. is really really great and you're not sort of I mean if you obviously delve deeper there's a lot you can mm. sort of suss out but 
first and foremost as to who done it, and it again functions superbly on that level. Well, and, and also just to get back to this this idea of the metaphor, like if if you start picking apart the metaphor, it's pretty powerful because what it's essentially saying is not immigrants are t- coming over here and taking our stuff. It's saying we're such shitheads that we don't deserve our stuff. Yep. That's mm-hmm. that's a very different. That's a very that, different thing. And that stuff is built on sand. And that stuff is built anyway. on sand anyway. Exactly. And that they're all fighting to claim something that's not their own. They're all fighting for something that they didn't earn. They're all fighting for something they didn't create. Yeah. That's very interesting for me and as And that well. the creator controls what happens to his or her, his stuff in this yeah. case as well, which I think is really important. So I think, yeah, the, the metaphor is actually pretty powerful because it is, you know, the white the sort of golden white dude with everything, <laughs> with the world at his feet, mm-hmm. who nevertheless wants more and sets about murdering to get it. Like, mm. you know, screw that guy. It's fascinating. We were talking about the reveal scene. How much of that is pieced together by him on the fly, mm. which is unusual mm. for yeah. this this genre. Usually whether it's, you know, Jessica Fletcher or or Miss Marple or, or Poirot or, of course, my fave, Lieutenant Columbo, <laughs> they figured it out. When Columbo brings the uh, the the murderer in at the end of the of of each yeah. episode, he knows he knows everything. He knows him. everything. He's just trying to lure them into yeah. revealing themselves. And uh, Benoit Blanc doesn't do that. He he is he brings Marta to the house basically to fess up, yeah. and then he's going to have her brought down the you know, but with a heavy heart. But this yeah. is an interesting one because this is a bit more uh, murder on the Orient Express. Actually, this yeah. is more the 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 moral judgment of what's happened as well. Mm. Um, it's it's not just a whodunit. It's also a and you got and your shit and your shit <laughs> and your shit. And she's all right, so I'm yeah. with her. You know, it's um, yeah. It's, I think it's that. I love that he pieces it together on fire because it contributes to the build up and the excitement because he is. Bursting, he is like you know things are happening in his mind. It's like connections, 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 and you can the way Daniel Craig plays it. He's he's just so eager to get it all out, and mm. that's for me again. This is one of my favorite moments of the year. I I loved it. And then Ransom totally fucking up and going for the uh, prop <laughs> yeah. knife instead of the real one. Yeah, but yeah. I just love how you know the thing, things are set up and yes. paid off so satisfyingly, and that mm. is. One of them for sure. Yeah, there's so many lines that are that are called you know, that pay off later on, and mm. there's callbacks to stuff that it's it's really beautifully layered script uh, as well. Bruby underscore Chris asked another question: Do we think all the knives in that display were fake? Ooh. Or did he just pick the wrong one? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, actually. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Again, I didn't get a chance to ask Ryan Johnson that. <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed the interview, anyway, guys. <laughs> um, and another another point to uh, to make about um, Bema Blanc is that in this sort of fiction, the detective fiction, and certainly once again with my boy Lieutenant Columbo, <laughs> there is an element of the class warrior mm-hmm. about the detectives in this. They're the great equalizers in a way. They're fighting the good fight on behalf of the downtrodden and the oppressed and the people who can't fight, who can't fight the good fight. And certainly that's the case here as well. If you look at Columbo, every single person that he arrests. Is privileged in some way. Mm. Is is moneyed, is powerful in some way. Whether they're a writer or a politician or a magician, <laughs> you know, or an actor. So he's always bringing down the rich and the powerful. Yeah. And Benoit Blanc. Hopefully, this is going to be the start of a grand tradition in which he works his way up the trumps. Quite frankly, <laughs> I tweeted about this a few months ago. I'm very ready for a Mark Ruffalo Colombo movie. Um, I've been ready. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, my body is ready. My spirit is ready. Yep. 
uh, how long do you think we'll have to wait? A Dude, long time about so it. long that mm. like Noah Centino is going to have time to make the prequel first. <laughs> like it's crazy how long it's taking. Mm. Would you take a TV series or would you want it to be a movie? I don't mind. Me too. I'm open. Yeah. I don't mind either. I'm willing to compromise here. Hollywood, <laughs> meet me halfway. You know, I don't think I'm asking too much. And yeah, movie. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Movie. He's asking Any reason too why? much. Huh? Any particular reason? So I can go on set. Uh, okay. <laughs> so a couple of last questions and we'll knock it in the head. At Hassan underscore W asks, does Marta only have one pair of shoes? Maybe they're, just, <laughs> maybe they're just really comfortable. Although I have to say, white canvas keds do not look like the appropriate shoes for weather that damp. Marta, I, I feel like you should probably have reconsidered. But, um, but I mean, she is like a nurse, so they do wear mm. comfortable white sneakers uh, as standard. So maybe she only has one pair of comfortable white sneakers at a time. Mm-hmm. Just wears them for a month or two to death and then buys <laughs> another one. I don't know. It's possible, is what I'm saying. What exactly is Benoit Blanc communicating to the police via those piano notes? Asks J. Henry Benmore. That's clearly a hurry the fuck up. Move on. Oh, that's very rude, Helen. I'm just asking a question. I'm saying that's what he's saying. Oh, right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And then I can't find a question, but someone asked, what's our dream cast for a sequel and what do you want a sequel to be, apart from made right now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think you have to go for a similar mix of, you know, interesting character actors of various ages and uh, rich kids um, and A-listers generally. Um, I would I would quite like to see Lakeith Stanfield come back and be given a bit more to do. So mm-hmm. let's keep it in that same sort of, you know, area of the world. But there are so many freaking actors from Boston. I mean, come on, that, that puts both Affleck and Damon right in there. You've got Krasinski, you've got freaking everybody's from Boston. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just just stay up there, stay in New England, <sighs> do some more stuff front. Ooh, like, no, that would be a horror writer. I was going to say, go to Maine and have a horror writer. It's like, it's been done. Yeah. I mean, it would depend on what the themes of the movie were. And you have to sort of build around that. Um, I definitely like the notion of uh, Lakeith, a uh, big fan. Um, would you bring Marta back? Yes. Would you want to see Marta? No. Really? No. She's done. Her story's done. I'm leaning towards. I, I think I, I'm leaning towards Helen on this one. I think if we were to see her, it would be just in a kind of like a a, a nice little scene yeah. where she and goes. She's still doing super well. Yeah. yeah. She's doing super okay. Well. Yeah. 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 But I I I I want to know a little bit of what happens next in her story. Not like again, maybe that could not, be like in passing. It yeah, could be a, yeah, it could be a newspaper say. clipping on his. Work, yeah. Exactly. You know? Not 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 a full movie's worth, but I want mm. to know a yeah. little bit. Sure. I can see a scene where Benoit Blanc has to go to prison to get some information from Ransom Drysdale, <laughs> who's now in a maximum security prison, and he's fashioned a beautiful sweater out of his and prison, he's grown his a prison full clothes. Beard. Oh. Full beard. <laughs> full beard, you say? Wow, can you imagine a full beard and sweater? And he's seven. He steps out of the shadows. <laughs> As I'm the afraid train. I had to come to you for some information. And he's like, Mr. Blanc, I've been expecting you. <laughs> Magic is happening in this room. Oh my God. <laughs> Ryan, call us. We've got this sorted. <laughs> yep, I think we do. And on, <laughs> and on that bombshell, on that note, that is it for our Knives Out spoiler special. Don't forget the regular Empire podcast as well is out every Friday. 
If you don't already listen, please do so. If you don't already, if you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you haven't already left us a nice five-star review, because everything, every little bit helps on iTunes, then please do so as well. Anyway, until we meet again, until a auspicious occasion. Until then, it is goodbye from Amon Warman. Uh, thank you. Uh, peace. What the place. hell was that? <laughs> what did you just do? You what? You're the only one lied to. I'm a passive observer oh of Elmon's impression. That was amazing. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> I think we're both doing different people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, drawing a blank. Anyway, <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Go and do it. Eat shit. Oh, come on, not that again. <laughs> Wait, what was I supposed do, to do? Do do my blank. Oh, I can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Toodaloo. Bye. All right. Thanks, everyone. I'm off to eat shit and uh, hopefully persuade Amon and Helen to stroke this bad boy one oh, more time. No. Stroke it. Get stroke it. Away. Stroke it. Once. Never stroke again. it. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Yeah, she struggled it. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Calling HR. <laughs>